Hi, this is Stuart Weems and welcome to the Investopoly podcast. My goal is to give you simple, easy to understand strategies, insights and tips to help you master the game of building wealth. And in this episode, I'd like to talk about um, being prepared for volatility and negative news over the next let's call it period of time, uh, which could be 6, uh, uh, 12, 18, maybe even 24 months. Of course, the media thrives on negativity. Uh, so if there's a little bit around, they like to magnify it. Um, as the saying goes in newspapers, if it bleeds, it leads. Uh, and the problem is that sometimes it can influence investors uh, and and dissuade them from making investments. But the the silver lining is that negative sentiment almost always creates uh, attractive long-term investment opportunities, as long as you're looking for them, of course, uh, because it creates mispricing and it creates you know fear-led uh, changes in or sell-down of assets, etc. Uh, so uh, whilst it, we could be heading into a bit of a tumultuous period of negativity, the reality is if you're a long-term investor, a long-term evidence-based investor, then you know it could create um, some great opportunities for you. Uh, so that's what I wanted to talk about today. Um, now, let's talk about the first thing, which is uh, inflation. I mean, it's been well documented that you know inflation is rising in Australia. Uh, the current inflation rate is uh, 5.1%. Inflation is a problem globally. Uh, if you look at other countries, New Zealand, uh, 6.9%. Uh, UK came in last week at 9%, US is 8.3%. So I guess by uh, developed economy uh, perspective, Australia's actually so far uh, not doing too bad. But I guess anyone that's been to a supermarket lately uh, would probably respond by saying, hang on, Stuart, there's lots of goods that have increased um, by more than 5.1%. So in reality, inflation, I think, uh, is a much greater problem than what the CPI reading will tell us. Uh, in fact, I, I went to, just as a little anecdote, I went to the supermarket uh, last week, um, which I don't often do, uh, and I mention that just because it just doesn't give me much uh, context to measure you know, changes in prices. But anyway, I went to a supermarket uh, last week uh, to go and buy an iceberg lettuce. Uh, it's, it's not a very exciting story, by the way. Uh, anyway, and I paid uh, six dollars for that lettuce, and and I thought, oh, that seemed to me that seemed expensive. But again, I didn't have you know any experience to measure that against. Anyway, when I got home, I spoke to my wife. I said six dollars for lettuce, and she goes, yeah, that that would normally cost three dollars or less. And, and it uh, it sort of stuck in my mind, you know, that obviously that's a you know that's a doubling of prices in that category. Um, now, inflation can be uh, supply-driven or it could be demand-driven. So demand-driven inflation means that demand for goods and services, say demand for lettuces in this, in this case, is well above normal. And, and that's because the economy is doing well, maybe wages are rising, we've got more money to spend, uh, unemployment's reduced, etc., etc. Kind of a good place to be in because the economy is really steaming ahead. Uh, and in that situation, to cool inflation, uh, what uh, central banks would normally do is increase the interest rate so that I'm spending more money on my mortgage and therefore not buying as many lettuces as, as I'd otherwise want to do. But inflation can be supply-driven as well. Uh, and so when I say supply-driven, that means that demand might be um, normal, uh, but supply is below normal. 
Uh, and when whenever demand exceeds supply, you get price growth. You know, the market is pretty efficient and will keep increasing prices until demand reduces to the to equal supply. Uh, and then prices will, you know, hold at that level, if you like. Um, so if we go back to the lettuce example, why am I paying $6 for a lettuce other than I'm, you know, not very price conscious? Uh, well, if you have a look, if you have a think about it, is it the supermarket that's making a much greater margin? Well, the answer is no, generally. Uh, supermarkets, although they've done well through COVID during, because, you know, uh, higher sales, a few people going out, et cetera, et cetera. Um, their margins really haven't increased and certainly not doubled. Um, or, or in fact, a margin would uh, triple, I think, to depending on the cost of goods uh, for, for prices to double. Anyway, margins haven't really changed. Uh, if we have a think about it, well, farmers are paying a lot more for inputs, like, uh, say, fertiliser, for example, has gone through the roof. Uh, and that's because commodity prices have ha have increased as well. So there's a good chance that the farmer's not making much uh, more in, in the way of profit. Uh, neither is the retailer, the supermarket. Uh, and I'm le the one left holding the bag, paying, you know, uh, a higher price for goods. Uh, and so if we think about, you know, what's driving inflation at this point, because, I mean, certainly there were some sectors and, and types of services and goods through lockdowns that were experiencing above average demand. That That is absolutely true. Think about furniture, for example, uh, renovation, uh, those sorts of things. There, there was a, a greater level of demand uh, during the lockdowns. But lockdowns are over now. And, and I think the main cause of inflation is supply chains. And there's really three big factors, I think, that are impacting supply chains. Uh, first one is commodity prices. So, you know, that goes to the fertiliser story around, you know, where's the increase in fruit and veg, for example. Uh, also, China's lockdowns, you know, that, that has a big impact on uh, supply chains. So China continued to lock down to, to deal with their COVID issue. Uh, and then obviously the Ukraine-Russian uh, conflict, um, that, that has an impact on supply chains and overall sentiment as well. Uh, so... Um, Unfortunately, I don't think increasing interest rates uh, is going to have a big impact on inflation in Australia. Uh, I think it'll cool a little bit, but it, it won't have a, a really large impact. Uh, to sort out the inflation issue in Australia is going to be a painful thing because essentially what we need to do is reduce demand to below normal levels. And that means that uh, some people, and unfortunately particularly lower income earners, are going to have to make some compromises you know, maybe they don't buy as much uh, uh, fresh fruit and vegetable or maybe they don't heat their house as much as they otherwise would, et cetera, et cetera. That's why I say it's a painful process because really we've got to reduce our demand levels to, to below normal. Um, so that means that people have to make compromises. Uh, I think the good news, the silver lining, is that it's temporary. You know, supply chains will recover eventually. Um, China is the only uh, uh, big geographical country that's uh, going through lockdowns at the moment. I mean, there might be other countries, but they're not material. Uh, so, you know, supply chains will kind of return to normal. But it is a good segue to talk about um, uh, interest rates. You know, I did a podcast in mid last year to sort of say, look, interest rate expectations are pretty benign. You know, at the time, mid last year, people were thinking interest rates were going to remain low for a long period of time. And I did say in that podcast, uh, I warned people, interest rate expectations can change very quickly. So we shouldn't get seduced into thinking that interest rates will never rise. Uh, and here we are today. We were talking about 
you know, um, interest rates rising again. The same commentators that were predicting interest rates weren't going to change for 10 years are now saying interest rates are going to go through the roof. So, you know, I guess it's a little bit of a lesson to drown out the, the media noise um, and really uh, base decisions on long-term averages, you know, the, the evidence and so forth. Um, the reality is that interest rates were reduced to close to zero uh, for a very good reason. The world was in lockdown, Australia was in lockdown, and businesses were impact businesses and individuals were impacted um, through no fault of their own, right? So interest rates had to come down to zero, help people through that lockdown process. That's done now, and it's very important that interest rates go back to normal levels as quickly as possible, you know, as soon as the economy can afford it. There, there are uh, negative long-term Im- implications of, of keeping rates too low. It distorts markets, etc., uh, etc. Et so um, the RBA increasing interest rates now, I think, is a good thing. They have to do it. Um, it's best for the country longer term. Um, to what extent they do it uh, is really going to depend on the inflationary thing because, as I said, uh, you know, you double the pain really by making people pay twice as much for lettuce uh, and then also uh, uh, more for their, their home loan as well. And you don't want to send it too far um, or squeeze people too far, I should say, because it will or could and it could still uh, send Australia into a sort of technical shallow recession. Um the, the key component here, or the, I guess the, the, um, the million-dollar question, if you like, is what is what, what do normal interest rates look like? Uh, and really that's best described as the neutral rate, you know, where it's no longer, it's neither expansionary or, or, or contractionary from uh, an economic perspective. The RBA reckons that the neutral rate's probably close to 3.5%, so that's a cash rate. Um, whereas most commentators think it's probably lower than that. And I suspect, you know, just because of indebtedness and interest rate sensitivity, I, I suspect that's true, you know, that maybe it's somewhere between 2 and 3%. But um, uh, the, the caveat being as long as the economy can afford it, really interest rates need to get back to 2 to 3% uh, as quickly as possible for, from a long-term perspective. So while we're on the theme of negative news, let's talk about uh, the share market then. I mean, I've written a lot and, and uh, uh, talked a lot on this podcast about, you know, irrational share market valuations. You know, at times there were just some craziness going on in the marketplace. Uh, and I said, I suggest it wouldn't last forever. Well, it hasn't. Uh, there's certainly been a, a correction uh, against that uh, from the beginning of the year. And then some tech companies in particular in the US, uh, you know, 80, 90% off their all-time highs during the pandemic. And a lot of these companies didn't have any sound fundamentals, profit, cash flow, these sorts of uh, things. The I note the uh, US tech index, the NASDAQ's down by uh, around 30% this year. Um, the NASDAQ includes about 3,600 3, stocks and almost half of those stocks have fallen by more than 50%. So it's pretty extraordinary. Um, the, the, the problem with a, a re-rating of uh, valuations like we've just experienced is it can be a bit messy in that uh, even uh, really good companies, fundamentally sound companies, get caught up in the negativity and the selling down. Um, and uh, some prices of some otherwise uh, fundamentally sound stocks have fallen too, uh, albeit to a much uh, much lesser extent. 
so it certainly seems like uh, the theme of the day at the moment is now fundamentals matter. Who would have known? You know, things like profitability, strong cash flows, proven business models, sustainable business models, uh, long-term, uh, long-term strong balance sheets, all those sorts of things uh, now matter a lot more than they did, say, a year ago. Uh, and that's good news for evidence-based investors um, particularly uh, investors that are using different types of indexing strategies. Uh, and so whilst it might be a bumpy road for the market to sort itself out over the coming months, um, in the long run, you know, it can, it can create some good investment opportunities. And certainly if you've been tilting towards a value approach towards investing like we have in our business, um, it, it's going to pay dividends, uh, most certainly going to pay dividends uh, probably over the next 12 plus months. And so let's talk about the Australian property market then. Um, there's been some predictions of price uh, drops this year um, because of, as a result of rising interest rates. Uh, we're certainly seeing it cool, the property market cool, but it's in relatively good condition. Um, maybe there's been some minor, you know, one or two or three percent uh, price drops, but at least at this stage, it, it looks to be uh, holding its own, but certainly changed a lot since 2020 and 2021. You know, those calendar years were full of uh, optimism and FOMO and and so forth. And, and look, I wrote a blog uh, and podcast uh, mid last year to say, look, I, I just wouldn't buy a property in this market, uh, which really meant uh, I wouldn't overpay for property. Well, I'd never overpay for property. And it seemed like um, that was the only way to successfully buy properties if you were prepared to overpay for it during 2020 and 2021, of course, there's exceptions to that. But as a, as a general observation, um, I think it's a much more balanced market and that's really, uh, really good news for uh, anyone that's interested in buying property. The reality is the best time to buy property is when it's unpopular to do so. Um, let me say that again. The best time to buy property is when it's really unpopular to do so. So, uh, the best time to buy property is when people are actually thinking or the the uh, the general wisdom out there is that you, that's the last asset you'd want to buy. Uh, in that sort of environment, property is then the best thing to buy. But it's also the hardest thing to do. So, you know, whilst we might all look back and go, oh, look at that market. It was really negative. Property was selling, you know, let, let's say cheaply, you know, at a discount if you like. Um, but if you then look at the number of transactions that occurred, uh, I bet it's below trend because few people really have the confidence um, and the discipline, most importantly, uh, to, to um, transact in that market. So I think it's very possible that you know there's the negative sentiment surrounding property market will continue and maybe even get deeper and stronger. Um, and if that's true, and if you're interested in getting into the property market, uh, it could create the best opportunities for you, but you've got to be obviously diligent. I mean, you've got to be diligent in any market, um, get some good advice, um, but also realize that you'll be buying a market where it's going to feel risky. So overall, um, inflation's high, it's going to cause some pain. Uh, interest rates are rising, and so they should. Um, the stock market is very volatile, and the exuberance around the property market has uh, certainly cooled. Now, it's quite possible that all this negativity might send us into what I might term as a technical recession. Now, I don't say technical recession because that's just two quarters of negative GDP growth. When I say technical recession, it could be very shallow uh, in that uh, because I don't think things are going to 
recover very quickly until the supply chains sort, sort themselves out. And that could take six to 12 months or even longer. Uh, and so if we do go into a technical recession, I think it will be shallow. You know, the, the negative growth won't be that negative. Uh, and also it will recover relatively quickly after supply chains um, fix themselves. So over the next one to two years, I invite you to do three things. Uh, the first one is expect bad news. Uh, so expect volatility, expect negative predict predictions, uh, expect to feel uncertain through this next period of time. And I think if you prepare yourself for it and you say, yes, I know it's coming, when it hits you, uh, you know it's just the overall theme and a temporary theme uh, and something that obviously the media will push through. Uh, secondly, whilst I think the next period of time will offer us some really attractive medium to long-term investment opportunities, I think equally I could invest through this next period of time, so let's say the next year, and not enjoy any returns. Because of the volatility, because of the uncertainty and so forth, I might invest in something today that I think is going to generate 10% compounding returns over the next five years. But it's quite possible that that thing that I invested in today will be the same price or even could be lower in 12 months' time. But don't let that distract you. Um, so don't expect a lot of returns over the next 12 months. Expect a lot of opportunity. And if you take advantage of those opportunities well enough, uh, the returns will follow eventually when the market kind of sorts itself out. And finally, stay the course. Don't get spooked by volatility. Don't get spooked by negative sentiment. Um, don't get spooked by predictions of a recession, etc., etc. Uh, and go and make wholesale changes to your investment strategy. Have the discipline to stay the course. Understand that markets move in cycles. And the factors that have created this situation that we're currently in are temporary. You know, the market will correct real reweight valuations. That's fine. Uh, supply chains will eventually work themselves out. You know, it's not a permanent issue. That's fine too. Uh, really just stick to the long term, stick to fundamentals uh, and have the discipline to stick through this period of time. Okay, that's it from me this week. Uh, as always, if you enjoy the podcast, please leave a rating where you listen to it. Uh, it certainly does help with the rankings and so forth. And until next week, bye for now.